season's going to end on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital of the world. This is what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take this serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. That's the result you're going to get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. The laugh, doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us here on a terrible Tuesday edition of the show. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. A lot to get to today. A lot of venting, a lot of ranting. I got so much to vent about today. We might not have enough time. We just may have to extend the show today. <laughs> Numbchuck would love that. He's always trying to get me to do more. Mo, mo, more. And your true connection. All right, uh, Lincoln Kennedy is going to join us today. Big Link, look forward to that as we recap the Raiders season. And I love Lincoln Kennedy, even though he's a former Raider, former All-Pro, and, of course, part of the radio broadcast of the uh, Raiders radio network. He tells it like it is with the Raiders, so we'll uh, get into that with uh, Big Link. And uh, Chuck Esposito will join us a little bit later on in the show, and we talk about the betting perspective from what we saw not only in last night's championship game on the college football side, but uh, also more about the uh, betting refunds that uh, are have been happening in the various sports book. We have talked to Jay Cornegay at the Westgate when we were there Friday and Monday about that. So we'll get to Chuck Esposito's position on all of that. Plus a look ahead as we start the hype. We get ready for the NFL playoffs and they begin Saturday. So look forward to all of that. All right, T.C. Martin, Numbchuck with you here on the other side of the glass on this terrible Tuesday edition of the show. A lot to talk about, a lot to do, and why wait at all? It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, we've got to start with that debacle of a football game that we saw last night. Probably the most unenjoyable game that I've ever seen. And not just because betters had TCU. I think even if you had Georgia, maybe you enjoyed that game. But the bottom line is, you want to watch a good football game. When you have a national championship game that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for, and it's a standalone game on a Monday night, and you get that mess, oh yeah. TCU was the biggest underdog in college football history coming into this game. The line closed at 13.5, plus 13.5. Georgia favored. 200-1 to was their odds at the beginning of the season. The last title TCU had, 1938. The last title Georgia had coming into the game, oh, 364 days ago from last year. And by the point spread, it looked like a mismatch. We all tried to believe and talk ourselves into, well, what we saw with TCU all season long was pretty darn good, and the way they took care of business, they were more physical than Michigan. A lot of us bought in to TCU. A lot of people lost a lot of money, including my friend Mattress Mac last night. I don't even know if I want to say how much he lost. Hopefully he's not listening right now. $3 million. But it didn't matter. What we saw last night was a travesty. All right. It was one of the worst football games that we have ever, ever seen. A team that was non competitive. From the moment that they stepped on the field, it looked like they were a deer in headlights, that the moment was too big, that they were intimidated. The first play of the game, before the clock even moved a tick, you had a false start penalty and you're on first and 15 and you go three and out and then it's seven nothing just like that. It's 10 nothing just like that. And even when TCU scored their first touchdown 
on a wide open blown call, uh, a blown coverage call by the Georgia defense. They're midway through the first period, and then TCU ended up scoring to make it ten to seven. Even then, you had to say to yourself, "This is still going to get ugly." And that's the only time that TCU was jumping up and down and excited. And then what happened the very next drive? Boom, it's 17 to seven. And Georgia scored and scored and scored and scored. This game was a downright mess in every facet. But now, like I said, the 13 and a half point underdog makes sense now, right? Because what we talked about at the Westgate with Jay Cornegay yesterday, was this, well, we hope TCU can make it a game. We hope that it's not a blowout. Because if it is a blowout, you know what's going to happen. Here comes everybody. Here comes all the naysayers saying they shouldn't have made the playoffs. They shouldn't have been there. They didn't deserve it. It's the Big 12 reputation. It's coming all over again. And guess what? That's what we started hearing midway through this game last night. And then we started hearing it again this morning. And we will continue to hear it again for a team that had a great regular season. They had a lot of close wins. They had a tremendous victory against Michigan. But again, when you look at that matchup against Michigan, it favored TCU because of the matchups, because Michigan does not have an explosive offense like Georgia has. And Georgia, coming off the two subpar performances to LSU in the SEC championship game, and then what happened last Saturday, uh, barely beating Ohio State. Well, give Kirby Smart credit. He said that they were going to get back to the attention to detail. They're going to get back to practice. They're going to correct the mistakes. And boy, did they. So congratulations to Georgia for taking care of business. And you know when you knew this game was over? When Holly Rowe talked to Kirby Smart and said, what's the plan for tonight? And he goes, aggressive. Aggressive. And you just see it. Had the bulldog in his eyes. All the Bulldog players had that Bulldog in their eyes, and they were ready to roll. This game was a joke in every sense of the word. Georgia thrashed TCU, destroyed them, embarrassed, humiliated, boat raced, whatever phrase you want to use, trampled, outplayed them, outcoached them, out the door, 65-7, to the final score last night. 65 to 7. The worst championship game ever in any sport to watch, but also by a margin. Frustrating to watch. This was worse than what we saw USC do in 2005, where they crushed Oklahoma 55 to 19. This was worse than what Alabama did to Notre Dame in 2013, beating them 42 to 14. This was worse than what Clemson did to Alabama in 2019 when it was 44 to 16. At least that was close for a while. Alabama, what they did to Ohio State last year, 52 to 24. Yes, this was worse. This was worse than any Super Bowl we have ever seen. This is worse than the destruction that the San Francisco 49ers put on the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 24 when the Niners won 55 to 10. Heck, man, that was a picnic. That was only 45 points. Do the math there, Numchuck. 65 to 7. What do you get? Subtract that. What do you got? Huh? No, not 55. You, I told you you can't add. 65 to 7. 58 points. 58 points. Worse than the Bears. What the Bears did to New England. Remember that? 46 to 10. What Seattle did to Denver. 43 to 8. How about what the Cowboys did to Buffalo back in the day? 52 to 10. This is all much more one-sided. Non-competitive from the get-go. Now, I'll say it because I said it for the last whatever it's been, 49 days or so. I'm not the only one saying it, too. You still want TCU in there? Still want Ohio State in there? Okay, Ohio State gave a pretty good account of themselves. They did. There's no question about that. But this is what we were afraid of when they the committee bypassed Alabama. And I'll just say this. Do you think we'd have 65-7 to if the Crimson Tide's in this game? Of course not. Of course not. 
Forget about it. We talked about who was the best-looking team last Saturday. Who was that? It wasn't Georgia. It wasn't TCU. It certainly wasn't Michigan. It wasn't even Ohio State. It was Alabama. That's right. And we knew this was going to happen. This conversation was going to come up. Because you know darn right, darn well, that if Alabama is in this game, it's not 65-7. to Plain and simple. So, of course, the committee is going to have to deal with this one more year, dealing with teams out of the Big 12 or maybe the non-Power 5s. If they go undefeated, should they be there? And this will be a strike against them. Because of this result, not because TCU ended the season 13 and 1. No, not because, you know, they were 12 and 0 at one point in time. They're going to look back at this and they're going to say, look what happened. The worst college football defeat in the history of college football, in the history of a championship game in any sport, college basketball, college football, Super Bowls. The biggest defeat ever. And it was ugly to watch. It was so ugly to watch. But again, this will have ramifications as this will be held against TCU and other teams when it comes to debate day and that first Sunday in December when it comes time to select your top four teams to go to the college football playoff. But the good news is we only have to do this one more time and then we get to the 12-team playoff. But last night, downright atrocious and terrible. <sighs> All right. How about this? Let's go back to Sunday Night Football. Now, the networks rearranged some games, including putting the Raiders and Chiefs on Saturday afternoon, putting the standalone game for Saturday night with Jacksonville and Tennessee. And we're wondering, okay, what's going to happen with Sunday Night Football? the last game of the season. Well, they put the Packers and the Lions on there. And as it turned out, the Packers needed to win to get to the playoffs. Detroit was already eliminated earlier in the day. So that's too bad because if, if Seattle would have lost, then you know Detroit had something to play for. Well, Detroit definitely had something to play for. They played for pride. And like Dan Campbell said, it was beautiful. They go, what's the motivation knowing that you're eliminated an hour before you take the field at Lambeau Field against the Packers. He goes, hey, we can't go. We sure in the heck don't want the Packers to go. So we're going to keep, we're going to take it away from them. And they did that. But a lot of credit goes to Detroit for the 20-16 to victory. But what about the meltdown for the Packers? All right. Aaron Rodgers was downright terrible, where Jared Goff was better than him. Goff, 23 for 34, 224 yards. Better than Rodgers, who was 17 for 27, 205 yards. Had a touchdown, but also had an interception. Looked disinterested. And again, typical Aaron Rodgers, yelling at his receivers, yelling at his offensive linemen. But who should the yelling be blamed at? Two individuals from the Green Bay Packers. Well, maybe three. Let's put... Matt LaFleur in there, that ham and egg coach, who again isn't mentioned about losing his job. But we go ahead and focus on Rasul Douglas and Quay Walker. Those two ham and eggers. Have you ever seen anything like this? All right. Rasul Douglas goes and walks up to the center and tries to move the ball or take away the ball. Did you see this? All right. Let's reset it for you. Green Bay is leading 9-3 to right before halftime. Michael Badgley, the Lions kicker, was lining up for a field goal attempt. Now officials began blowing the whistles to stop play. At that point, Rasul Douglas, the Packers' safety, all right, who's usually, you know, 10, 15 yards off the ball. All right, we're going to attempt a field goal. He's going to be up around the middle. He walks up the line from the left side. Up the line, not like just going over the top here, and goes up and tries to take the ball away from the long snapper, Scott Daly of the Lions. Douglas walked towards the line of scrimmage, got into a scrum of offensive linemen who were mostly all still set, and tried to snatch the ball away from the long snapper. 
Now, upon Douglas' attempt to take the ball away from Daly, the Lions' offensive tackle, Dan Skipper, took offense to him, saying, what are you doing here? Get out of here. And so he made a little bizarre move and gave him a shove. Then Rasul Douglas then responded with a hit over Skipper's head, hit him in the helmet, which drew a 15-yard penalty for unnecessary roughness. People couldn't figure out what was going on here. Is, is the penalty here because he went to try to to take the ball away? Well, I, that could have been unsportsmanlike conduct right there. But then afterwards, you, you've got him slapping the center in the head. That was a 15-yarder. So that turned out would have been a 48-yard field goal in 20-degree frigid conditions. We just missed a field goal. And then now it's a 33-yarder before halftime, which Badgley hit, and the Packers were only ahead now 9-6. to Here's the best part. Nobody in their right mind could figure out what Rasul Douglas was doing. Seven, third kicker for the Lions this year. The guy who likes to go by the nickname of the Money Badger. Timeout was taken, but a f- ball. Right in here. The whistles were going at this time as the official was coming in. I, did they call a timeout? I, I don't know, but that's certainly Douglas. There were whistles blowing when Douglas came in. Personal foul. Defense, number 29. 15-yard penalty. Yeah. <laughs> and again... It didn't sound like much there on TV, but again, nobody knew what the heck was going. So Russell Douglas decided to explain this afterwards, of course, by social media via a tweet. After the game, Douglas said this, crazy people don't get why I did this. Well, let's stop right there. Crazy people. Nobody understands why you did this, you idiot. Nobody. Crazy? Non-crazy? People who are not in mental hospitals? No, nobody. People sitting at home? How about the 80,000 at Lambeau Field? They had no idea what the hell you were doing. Oh, please, Russell, go ahead and continue. Well, allow me to retort then. See, that's that's Jules Winfield. Yeah, he wouldn't say it like that. Russell Douglas said, crazy people don't get why I did this. He missed a kick earlier in the game, and we called timeout on the play. I wasn't about to let him get a free kick, so I did this. Now, me hitting him after he pushed me, well, I take accountability for that. This is the mindset that we have with NFL players today. Wait a minute. Oh, it called timeout. I'm not going to let you get a free kick. You don't get to practice. You gotta get to practice. You know what this reminds me of when I hear this? Cause again, nobody knew what the hell he was doing until we hear about this today. So I have a flashback that I happen to see every NBA game. What do we see? Guy puts up a shot. Oh, whistle away from the ball. Oh, no. Guy shoots the ball. So what does the guy inside do? Uh, 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 I'm gonna goaltend it. Because I won't get called for goaltending because I don't want to see that ball go through the hoop. So I want to mess with your mind and have you say, oh, that shot got blocked. You ever see that garbage that happens in every NBA game when a shot is put up and the whistle already blows? So it's not going to be goaltending because the shot doesn't count. So someone will go ahead and bat the ball away. Why? Uh-uh-uh. Don't want to see it go through the hoop. This is exactly what Rasul Douglas was doing. I guarantee you he's watched too much NBA. I guarantee you that's it. I'm telling you. Why else would anybody do it? Uh-uh-uh. I'm going to take the ball away. We're, we're back in the sandlot. Taking my ball and going home. Come on, man. This is the most childish, juvenile thing and it explains a lot about the Green Bay Packers. And you saw Matt LaFleur go, what are you doing? Use your head. Be smart. He's pointing to his head. So if that wasn't stupid enough on the Packers side, how about Quay Walker? 
Quay Walker was ejected. Mm-hmm. Linebacker for the Packers for shoving a Detroit Lions medical team member. This happened during a timeout as the trainers were attending to an injured player. And so the trainer tried to move Walker aside. It's kind of, hey, let me get in here. And Walker goes, what? You doing that to me? Pushed him in the back. Flag. There it is. Ejection. All right. That was ridiculous. But how about this afterwards? Then we see Walker seen going to Lambeau Field, going into the locker room, going down the tunnel. And he's crying. He's in tears. Because he's got some problems. Walking through the Lambeau Field Tunnel, walking back to the locker room, he explained after the game why he reacted the way he did. Here's his quote. I like to explain my frustration in the tunnel. I wasn't upset about being kicked out. Well, see, that's the first problem. You should be upset you're kicked out, and you cost your team. You are a starter. Actually, you're one of the better defensive players on the Packers team. He says, I wasn't upset about being kicked out. I just knew I messed up again and was wrong for what I did, and I couldn't believe I did it again to the Detroit Lions and the entire training staff, including the person I did that to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it, but I did it again because I can't control myself. This is the second time I got ejected. I got ejected two times in the most important game of the year. I cost our team. (laughs) I'm an idiot. Oh, yeah. You can't make this stuff up. If you didn't see it with your own eyes, it is absurdity at its finest. A guy walking up the line of scrimmage, taking the ball away. Uh, 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 not going to get a free kickoff. Two, I'm pushing a medical staff person because you touched me. What is wrong with people, especially when it comes to Walker coming off the heels with DeMar Hamlin? It was the worst week for him to do that. Absolutely. Any other week, I could say. No, temp- bull. You no, no, never touch no, no, no. anybody. Temper got a Not little bit player. worse. Okay, yeah. let's just push it away for a second. Yeah. We're, we're good. To do that on that week. Clearly, he wasn't watching Monday Night Football. No. He wasn't watching DeMar Hamlin. He he wasn't looking around the stands. Everyone saying DeMar. He wasn't looking at his own coaching staff and players. You know? Our heart's out for DeMar. Nah. He's oblivious to it. Why? Because all these guys owe ego-central maniacs. Unbelievable. Egocentric maniacs. That's what they are. And that cost the Packers as well, too. But that's Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur. Enjoy the offseason below 500. Jerry Jones. How about what he said today? Jerry Jones, the only owner you will ever see that has his own spot on a local radio station. I don't know any other owner that has their own spot. I'm sure Jerry Jones is probably paying or, you know, getting paid just like quarterbacks do and other guys do to have their weekly spots on, on shows. Jerry Jones is saying he has full belief in Mike McCarthy and his staff. What? Did you not watch the game Sunday, Jerry? Did you not watch what happened with Washington drilling the Cowboys, your team, 26-6? to Did you see the game Sunday? Because how can you say you have faith in Mike McCarthy and his staff? And not we're talking, we're not just talking about one game. We're talking about what has transpired all season long. What has transpired last season and the season before with Mike McCarthy underperforming. And getting out coached just about every week, especially when you play a decent opponent. Yes. Getting embarrassed by Washington. Not ready to play. The Dallas Cowboys had 182 total yards. They punted 10 times against Washington. They couldn't stop an offense led by Sam Howell making his first career start out of North Carolina. Sam Howell beat you, Dak Prescott. You weren't resting anybody. 
You were there to play, to protect your seed, maybe even get a higher seed. Dak Prescott stinks. Dallas Cowboys stink. And Jerry Jones says, I have full belief in Mike McCarthy and the staff. Jerry Jones also said this on if they lose in the first round because they play Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming up on Monday. I don't need to go all into the pluses or minuses. I've got a lot more to evaluate Mike McCarthy than on this playoff game coming up. I can tell you how much confidence I've got in Mike and our coaching staff on being on top of where we are with this team right now. They've got every nuance. They understand every fertility that we might have or we might have shown Sunday. They've got everything in their grasp and in their understanding. And I have complete confidence in the coaching staff. It's outstanding. We've got a great chance to go down there and have success. Well, we'll see. Uh, Dallas made the playoffs the last two seasons, but of course, got bounced in the first round. Hey, the last coach that did that, that took Dallas to back-to-back 12-win seasons, you know when that was? 1998-1999 by Ch- Chan Gailey. Remember Chan Gailey? You know what happened to Chan Gailey? That third season, kind of like Mike McCarthy here, after you go back-to-back? Well, they lost in the first round, wild-card weekend. 27 to 10 to the Minnesota Vikings. Fired right after that. Yeah. Two year run with an 18 and 14 record. There you go. So that could be happening to Mike McCarthy. But if you're Jerry Jones, why are you saying that? There's no way in the world, if you have any sense, any football sense, that you believe that he's done a great job, that the players respond to him, and that your team is is going to make a deep run of the playoffs. Because they're not. You can have Michael Parsons, that's fine. But Dak Prescott, he's a hindrance. Ezekiel Elliott is a hindrance, a shell of himself. Ezekiel Elliott's only good for one thing, and we know what that is. We know Ezekiel Elliott is only good for one thing. I'm low-key faded, bro. You're playing like you're low-key faded. That's what you're doing. That's what he's doing. He was atrocious on Sunday against Washington. Just hor- horrific. All right. Those are some terrible Tuesday takes for him. We've got more because I've got plenty to rant and rave about today. I don't know. All right. If you got some terrible Tuesday takes, hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. Love to hear your thoughts as we vent about what upsets me over what? the course of the weekend. When we come back, Big Link is going to join us. Let's talk about terrible Tuesday. Talk about a disappointing season. It's the Raiders, and Lincoln Kennedy will tell it like it is. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Uh, great time again uh, yesterday and Friday at the Westgate of Las Vegas. Our Friday home, but of course, we were there the past couple Mondays, uh, New Year's Day games, and of course, yesterday for the National Championship game, which we really still don't want to talk about. The abomination of a game that that was. But uh, thanks to our good friends at the Westgate for the hospitality there. And, of course, come out and see the show live each and every Friday there at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. We'll be there from 2 to 4 p.m. again this Friday and get ready for our best bets playoff style. you got to like that. All right, speaking of liking that, to join us now. The former all-pro offensive lineman, of course, the former Raider and uh, proud of the Washington Huskies and does a fantastic job on the radio side, of course, on the Raiders radio network, the one and only big Lincoln Kennedy. Link, what's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Just uh, taking care of some stuff around the house, uh, and that's all good. Well, how you doing, TC? I'm good, brother. Hey, did you get those Christmas lights down? That's what I want to know. Were you, uh, I hope you didn't hurt yourself up on a ladder getting those Christmas uh, tree lights down, man. First of all, I don't go up on a ladder, so everything I do because I'm tall, everything I do is within reach. So I, I don't go up on a ladder, but yeah, I, I'm still working on them. When when you guys called in, okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out, man. No worries. Let's, uh, you know, you broadcast a lot of the college uh, uh, football games uh, as well as doing the yeah. Raider stuff, uh, Link, and uh, I know it's still close to your heart, but I don't know. I want your take on what we saw last night with the TCU just getting drilled. 
to uh, to to Georgia. We know that that could have been a possibility, but I think there's there's a lot of people out there that were thinking, okay, hey, from what we saw in the semifinals games, this could be a very good game. It could be a competitive game. What it turned out to be, Link, as we all saw, was the worst beatdown ever in championship yeah. game history. Well, first of all, it wasn't the game. That was a demolishing. So that's first and foremost. But I will say this. You know, people need to take note that SEC football is different than a lot of the country is playing. And when you think about it, you know, TCU's defense plays a 3-3-5. I've never been a fan of the 3-3-5. I understood it. I understood why people went to it. But I've never been a big fan of the 3-3-5. And for exactly the reason why you saw last night, Georgia was able to take them apart because they put their safeties in coverage, they put their linebackers in space, and they took advantage of them. And I'll tell you this, TC, anytime when, um, as a player, and when I saw a three-man front, I was just licking my chops because if I was an offensive line coach, I would instruct if there's a back in the backfield, there'll be double teams for every defensive lineman that's rushing. And so you have six on three, and you have double teams across the board. Now you have time to survey and scan. There's no pressure by your, for your quarterback and it allow your receivers, especially if they're speedy receivers, tight end and slot, to stress those safeties. And that's exactly what Georgia did last night. TCU didn't have an answer for it because they didn't have a way of stopping it. If they blitz, they exposed man-on-man on the outside. Their corners were undersized and undermanned and couldn't keep up with the Georgia receivers. And, and no one, they didn't have an answer for that tight end or, or the fact that, you know, the quarterback could run and scramble out of the pocket. So it was, it was really a complete breakdown. Uh, and, and I'm sorry that it would be, you know, people, it was a national championship because people were looking forward to it and that's what they got. But, you know, it just shows you that if you do not compliment or copycat what Alabama was doing, what, what Clemson was doing, they were winning and now what Georgia's doing, you're not going to be in the same league as them. Yeah, absolutely right. And a lot of people don't talk about the defense, you know, the, um, the three, um, the three, five, five, because it was three, five. What's that? That's, that's 13. That's, that's three, too many. three, three, five. Three, three, five. Thank you. You should yeah. be able to defend with that many TC, but I know. Yeah, it's all good. Exactly. But you're right, though. It's exactly what, you know, Stetson Bennett had all the time back there. Brock, uh, Brock Bowers was open all day long. And the thing about it is, you know, that they, they faced this with Mississippi State before. And that's exactly what Mississippi yeah. State does, and and they ran all over them uh, as well too. Yeah. So you're right; it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But going back to what you're saying, you're spot on. Uh, it's just the physicality, um, the athletes, uh, the depth that that Georgia has, that Alabama has. Like I said, Clemson when they were winning, uh, you're right. You you've got yeah. to copycat that because it was a huge difference uh just in personnel alone scheme alone and just attitude i mean seeing running backs just you know refuse to go down i mean just always you know looking for that extra yard or two or three i mean we saw these georgia running backs just you know stay on their feet and and diving for an extra two or three yards every time and that didn't stop all the way to the end of the game it didn't matter if it was quarter number one or at the end of the game I mean, they were they were just playing for sixty full minutes, and if you like football, you have to appreciate that. Well, you appreciate the physical nature of it. There's no doubt about it. But at the same point, it's disheartening when you look at another team because here's the thing: we we set up the playoff system to give everybody a chance. But when you have blowouts like that, you'll have people come back today and say, "Well, see, that's why you can't have those guys in TC who didn't even win the Big Twelve. Why should they be in the playoff?" Right. And, and it creates that argument on the side. I will say this. You know, congratulations to TCU for finding a way to get there. Um, I don't know if it would have been a different game if it was one of the other teams in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, Georgia is just that physical. Georgia is just that uh, high of a grade. And what it comes down to is that we don't want to see the same two teams in the, in the national championship every year. A lot of people were projecting it was going to be Alabama and Georgia. And I don't know, you know, Alabama has a way of spreading people out now. They've got receivers galore. Once upon a time, Alabama was only known as running back you. Now it's known as wide receiver you. You look at the amount of wide receivers they put out in the first round and uh, and a quarterback play. So they've changed their tune a little bit to be a little bit different and a little bit more fast-paced. But they're still a run-hungry team, just as Georgia's. Georgia has the ability to light it up through the air, but they still want to run run the ball. And the thing I will say this, uh, again, you've got a number of SEC schools most notably that have got running backs galore lined up, which is waiting for their time. I mean, we're talking about blue chippers, however you want to look at them, you know, five-star athletes, four-star athletes. They're sitting on the bench waiting for their time, biding for their time to get in because they know they'll be a vital part of the offense once they do. And I think we can all agree, Link, that if it was Alabama, 
we're not looking at 65 to 7 last night. There's no, there's no, right. there's no question about that. And, you know, we can go back and make that argument. Okay. Alabama, should they have been in or not with those two, you know, uh, losses they, they had to LSU and Tennessee, a top five, top seven team, you know, on the last play of the game combined four points. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that argument is still there and it's valid. But like we were talking about, if this result happens, like it did last night, then, okay, the naysayers are going to be back out there again. They're going to say, see, we told you, a team out of the Big 12 can't compete. Um, it, 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 it's, it's going to be able, it's going to harm a team like TCU, anybody in the Big 12 for at least one more year until we do get the playoff. And I think that that is going to be circled on the committee's mind again, you know, because that was an embarrassment for everybody. Well, look, it, it, TCU, Learned how to compete on a level the big the Big Twelve is on, and what we know about that, especially when Lincoln Riley was there in Oklahoma, they played offense. They scored a lot of points, didn't score, didn't play a lot of defense. TCU found a way to slow down spread teams. That's why the three three five was invented in the first place to slow down spread formations. A lot of the the, the RPOs that you've seen out of the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma States. That's that's what happened. But it does not work for the power football that you see in the SEC. And I say that power because you, you, you talk about the big tight ends, you talk about the speedy receivers, but they're still physical up front. They know how to run the football. So in going forward, you know, Sonny Dykes had had, had a very interesting comment I, I read this morning. You know, we've got a lot. We got a lot of work to do if we feel we're going to get on this scale or this, this level again. And he's absolutely right. You've got to change your ways. You've got to complement or if you, you know, duplicate what they're doing down there because they're, they're putting out champions every year. No doubt Lincoln Kennedy, uh, joins us. All right, Link, let's talk a little bit about the Raiders. Uh, six and 11, they finished the season. Major disappointment for many fans. Uh, you know, a big difference in a lot of times between expectations and then the reality, uh, especially from a fan's point of view. I want your thoughts as you got a chance to watch this team up close and personal all season long. As you analyze this season, what's at the forefront of your mind? Just as we learned, we're talking about TCU. All right. The Raiders have got a lot of improving they have to do. And they have to do it in a way to where um, they can get better overnight. The blueprint is not far off. You want to talk about blueprints, it's the team in the same division, the Kansas City Chiefs. The reason for the success of the Kansas City Chiefs is you look at their, their quarterback play, their coaching, and their players. You know, they have an offense that scores. Okay? So, this should be no surprise that we're seeing this. And then when it comes to the Raiders, what they've got going on and what they, what they need to do. It's going to be uphill ground. First thing foremost, they're going to try to figure out what we're going to do at quarterback. Still got to get better at defensive front, defensive secondary, and especially offensive line. They've got some pieces in place, and it's it's good hard, it's good for me to see and cover when you think about Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, Josh Jacobs, just to name a few. Special teams is at a premium. Premium. That's a good thing. That's one thing you have to work on. But they've got to fill out this roster, and there's a lot of work they have to do. Josh McDaniels. Obviously, he's getting a, a second year, uh, much to the you know chagrin of some fans. But we, Mark Davis isn't going to make a change like that. He's going to give him and Dave Ziegler a, a chance here in a couple drafts. We we get that as as he should. But evaluate the job that McDaniel's did and the decisions that he made during the course of the season. Well, here's the thing: I've played for coaches that were good offensive or good coordinators, not necessarily good managers. And, and that goes both on offensive and defensive side. I would say this, that I think Josh McDaniels had, had a lot of invaluable lessons that he learned this year. I've always believed the head coach of a football team should be a manager. Shouldn't have that many more responsibilities than that. Know what we're going to do on fourth down. Are we playing or are we going for it? Um, am I onside kicking or, or, or what are we kicking off? Those are the types of decisions I expect my head coach to make. I don't expect him to call every play. So there, there are a lot of lessons that have been pointed out to Josh McDaniels when he self-evaluates as they're putting this team together going forward. And he just needs, a, in my opinion, I think he has to lessen some of the responsibilities. With that being said, you know, you also have to have a, 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 a footprint on the overall magnitude and spectrum of the game, the language of the game. You know, and, and you have to understand what's going on in defense and have to step in and say something that in defense and try to pull people together. That's what a manager does. If you sway one way or the other, then you're going to have the other side look at you like, well, man, well, you're just an offensive coordinator. You don't care enough about the defense or vice versa. And that, that, that can separate a locker room. I'm not saying that's where they are right now. 
They've got too much work to do. This team is too incomplete to say that anything like that. But to me, when a coach, especially a head coach, goes back in and does self-evaluation, he needs to look at a lot of those little things, those intricate things that could have changed the, 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 the way of a game. Derek Carr, why do you think he struggled so much this season? Decision-making. Mm-hmm. Failed to make the right decision. Forced the ball in places that need to force the ball into. Look, the quarterback gets a lot of credit when things go right, get a whole lot of blame when things go wrong. And to me, you know, I know Raider Nation is divided over Derek Carr. I'm not saying he was the fault of all problems, but throwing the ball to the other teams, having as many interceptions as he did this season, the most in his career, decision-making. That's what it comes down to. So his future is a big topic here. Where do you think that he lands? Any chance that that he is back here? And if not, what do you think is is up next for Derek Carr? Well, it's not up to me to speculate. I know that he's got value and worth, you know, and and because he's still under contract, because he still is a Raider, you know, despite how the season ended and and the and the fact that you know he didn't show up the last two games, I don't know if that that resonates or says anything about the the possibility. Um, but I do know this that if he does look Derek Carr to me as a quarterback who can make every throw in the football field, when he's accurate, he sets himself apart from other quarterbacks. When he's inaccurate or when he doesn't have a good day, it's a long day. And so after so many years, I was always the mindset of that if you don't know what you have right now, by now you're probably never going to know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely does. Absolutely does. Yeah, I and I agree with you. But there there are teams out there. There are teams out there who are desperate for a quarterback. So he, that's why he has value. And and I'm not saying that he's he's going to be gone or anything like that. But I'm just saying that the Raiders left themselves open with a few options as they try to build this team going forward. Josh Jacobs, NFL's leading rusher, he ends the season, but he's without a contract. He came in here, you know, knowing that this is this is you know could be it for him as a Raider and you know for him he made a great account for himself and you know hopefully he can get paid whether it's going to be back here with the Raiders or somewhere else what do you think the Raiders should do and again I know it's speculation you're not making any decisions here but just sake of conversation from what you've seen from Josh Jacobs and seeing what the Raiders you know what do you think that they May want to do with Josh Jacobs during this offseason? Well, I mean, I'm thinking what they, what I would do if I was in position would pay the man. Mm-hmm. He's done everything that you could ask him to do as a player, as a Raider, as a teammate. He's done everything and more. And he played his absolute best football that he had in his career. If, if there is anyone who deserves a contract, a new contract, it's got to be him. And what would be the reason for them not to resign him? Would it be the money or would it be? You know, what, what he brings or his style in, in regard to McDaniel's offense. I mean, what, what would it, 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 it comes down? It comes down to the first, the reason why they didn't pick up the option in the first place is because most of his career since he's been in the league has been injury marred mm-hmm. and you need reliability. And, and he, I think he proved that playing through the little injuries that he had this season that didn't shut him down. Look, I, I, I was entertained last season. When he played, I think the most in his career, games wise, um, because up until that point, he, he never really finished. He didn't finish the season. He didn't complete a season. So they went well, running back by committee, which I thought was long overdue, and he had a successful season. Right. So, but this year, look, from what he's done from preseason training camp, everything else, if there's, like I said, if there's anyone who's put it out there that deserves the contract, it's got to be him. Yeah. How attractive of a commodity is. Josh Jacobs to the rest of this league out there? Well, running backs are somewhat undervalued. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he would look attractive. There's there's only one Derrick Henry. There's only one Nick Chubb. There's only one Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, so, but at the same point, running backs are still undervalued because there are still a lot of general managers that think they can get that value out of multiple guys. Biggest glaring weakness for this team that uh, that really stood out to you as you called seventeen games. Offensive line play, yeah, and which you know something about, <laughs> no question about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, look, here's the, here's the thing: the the offensive line play, especially in the interior part, 
the final couple of games was was really disheartening because even in the Chiefs game, they had no they had no answer to slow down the defensive tackles. You know, and 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 Jared Stidham had absolutely no time. So you know, the, you you got to have better offensive line play. I know that Josh Jacobs led the league in running, and I'm definitely definitely impressed with that. But when teams make a collective effort to take him out of the game, which means you're going to have to pass the football to win the football game. If you can't protect, all is lost. And I'm sitting up in the I'm sitting up in the booth like, why am I here? There's no game here. <laughs> this, this, this is going to be demolished, a, 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 a debacle. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we know, uh, this time of year, there's always anywhere from maybe three to six head coaching changes, and we've you know already seen what happened here um, with Cliff Kingsbury out of Arizona, Lovey Smith uh, out at Houston. Uh, sounds like uh, Indianapolis may stick with Jeff Saturday. Um, and then we know that Carolina's got uh, an, an opening. Uh, give me some thoughts here. And again, you got a chance to see Arizona up close and personal and one of the worst losses that the Raiders had in that home opener uh, this year. And then, uh, you know, Lovey Smith really hasn't had a great track record uh, of where he's been. But man, you got to say those Houston Texans really played hard for him um, during the course of this season, especially at the tail end. Ownership and fan base want to kind of catch a genie in a bottle. They want to catch they, they they want to catch that lightning. They see a team like the Los Angeles Rams, you know, make a quarterback change and get a Super Bowl championship, and they want they want to catch that. Not realizing the team that was there for the Rams before they made a change to Stafford. I mean, they 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 gave up, you know, a ton to Detroit because they said that they were a quarterback away from making from making a run, and they did. The 49ers, you know, didn't give up a lot to get uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, but you see the difference that he's made to that team on offense. So, you know, you don't 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 think that it's that easy to put to, to put together a championship caliber team overnight because it, overnight because it's not. It takes a while. It takes it takes the right system. It takes the right personnel. Hell, it even takes the right execution when you're out there in the football field. So, you know, I'm not not surprised by these coaching changes. It's just I'm. And and then again, you have a, you have teams that want to have a, this offensive coordinator and and or defensive coordinator. Look at Miami; they're in the same position. They finished with the same record they did last year. Right? They're, yeah, they're in the playoffs. But I mean, what 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 good did the coaching change do for them? <laughs> did it did it capture that lightning in the bottle? We'll have to wait and see. So I'm not necessarily surprised, nor do I really pay attention because it's not so much who you put there at the helm. You have to see how they're going to run it and manage it. And you can't be so quick to change, TC. Yeah. You can't be, you know, Raider Nation are calling for McDaniel's head after one year. What do you want to go through? Three coaching changes? How many years? <laughs> no one could have ever predicted what was going to happen to Gruden, happen to Gruden. Yeah. They gave him a 10 year deal. Hmm. And, and they, they made, they made way from Del Rio to get to Gruden. And then you, you, you go something that happened 10 years back. Gruden was scapegoated. Now you want to get rid of McDaniels. You've got to give these coaches a chance. And now, with that point, Link, going back to what we talked about with Derek Carr, you know, here's the guy that the most maligned quarterback out there because he's been through so many head coaches, offensive coordinators, and systems. Did you see a, a different Derek under Gruden system compared to what he had to deal with with McDaniel's system? How much of that played into him having that drop off season this year? I played for Gruden, and I know Gruden's offense like the back of my hand. And one thing I would say about Gruden's offense is that he always gave you an option to go with the football. And if you didn't want to take it, you could run. The reason why Rich Rich Gannon was so successful under it is because Rich Gannon wasn't afraid to use his legs. Derek had athleticism, has athleticism. He can run. He's not a slow-footed quarterback. He's not a Joe Flacco or anything like that. You know what I mean? He can run. He just chooses not to. And I remember talking to Jim Plunkett and him saying, you know, some quarterbacks just don't have it in them to do it. Okay, I get that. But you can't force the ball. You can't throw a turnover. You can't be on fourth and nine and throw the ball on the ground. can't do that. And so to answer your question, I don't know if it would have ever, if it would have ever gotten better than it was. And so where does that leave you? You, you, you you're, you're left with mediocrity. You're left struggling. You're left. Saying, oh, we need to get another coach or another offensive coordinator. You, what, what, what do you do with that? That's, it's a very loaded question. It's difficult to answer, to be honest with yeah. you, because 
you know, I, I, it, when when Derek would take a check down on third and seventeen, I'm thinking up in the booth, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right, a check down's not going to get first down. You know, but Gruden's options gave him checkdowns. You have a check down there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He is Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, before we let you go, Link, we've got Wild Card Weekend. Uh, I'm ro- I'm going to roll off the games. Tell me what you're most interested in. If you see an upset, shout it out. Saturday we got Seattle, San Francisco, and then we got the Chargers in Jacksonville. Sunday, Miami at Buffalo, Giants in Minnesota, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and then Monday night, uh, Jerry Jones says he's got all the faith still in Mike McCarthy. They're a two and a half point favorite at Tampa Bay. What are you looking for this weekend? TC, I love you. I'll be honest with you. I could give a damn about football right now. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. I'm See, done with football. I've watched enough football, enough film. I told my sons, because they were wanting to watch football with last I said, look, I don't care about the national championship game. I don't care anymore about football. I am taking a break. I am going to rest. I might even hibernate for a month, to be honest with you, be a big bear. I'm, I, I'm not caring about any play of football. So, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you, bro. No, I love, and I love it. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand that that is the mentality basically of, of football players in general. I mean, once their season's over, Absolutely. they're, they're not watching it. And I, I've had to explain that to a lot of people too. It's like, no, their season's over. They're done. They want to get away from it. They want to be far removed from it. So, uh, you know, anyway, so I, yeah, I, I'm just, see, I, I did, I did 11 college football games and with college, the game doesn't change, but the names do. I did 11 college football games. I did 20 Raiders games. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the preparation mm-hmm. and the expectations going in, and you know how thorough and diligent I do my job. Yes. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm not one of these guys who's just going to take it lightly. I know the game like the back of my hand. Don't know, always know the names. Don't know the schemes. But owe it to the people who listen to me or, or, in, or in, you know, shares of my voice to, to do my job at a competent level every time I'm out. I've watched more than enough football for quite some time. I'm good. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the off season, brother. And like I said, we'll let we'll, you, we'll let you be. Enjoy. You deserve it. Always uh, love seeing you and talking with you, brother. And uh, we'll reconnect Absolutely. down the road, bro. All right, man. Take it easy. I'll talk to you soon. There it is. Right, he is Lincoln Kennedy. There is fantastic job on the radio side, whether it's uh, doing uh, college football or on the Raiders radio network. Tuesday afternoon. A kind of little gloomy Tuesday afternoon. And it's a terrible Tuesday as well, too. All right, next hour, we'll talk to Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. We'll connect with him. All right. UNLV. Hoops coming off a big victory at New Mexico at the pit over the weekend. Big game tomorrow night against Boise State. Yeah. Looking forward to that. We'll touch on that a little bit. And plus, we will talk about... The NFL playoffs, wild card weekend. We'll start breaking all that down for you, that and a whole lot more on a terrible Tuesday afternoon.